magazine saddle. He wore a shining star. His job to offer battle to bad men near and far. He conquered fear and he conquered hate. He turned dark night into day. He made his blazing saddle a torch to light the Hello everyone, welcome to Reservations. We're your hosts, I'm Rain Whalen. And I just found out that young Metro doesn't trust me. But does he trust anyone? I don't know, but am I going to be okay? I don't know, man. I mean, I might need to change your name. Oof. To Joe Man. Oh. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I I heard he doesn't take kindly to people he don't trust. Yeah. Well, uh, well, welcome back everyone. Um, We hope you enjoyed last week. Uh... Because actually, I really did. Like, after we got done, I was like, man, that was actually a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. Talking about Songs from the Second Floor. Yeah, I mean, Songs from the Second Floor, I mean, it was a challenge for sure. Yeah. Um, but those who listened, thank you for bearing with me. Well, um, I don't know if you saw it. So you know how my mom nominated yes. me for the and thing. I did. I saw the... Yeah, uh, the day people. one was... Yeah. The songs from the Second Floor, yeah. Yeah, because it, it really did uh, impact me. Because yeah. I'll probably never see another movie like that. No. Nah. And I even tried to, so I actually told my mom about it. And she was like, oh, where can I find this? Uh, Prime? YouTube. And I was like, <laughs> you can no, can't find it, it on Prime. You can rent it and buy it on YouTube. Really? Yes. Oh, shit. I'll tell you that now. So, yeah. So, those of you who were like, well, he said it's impossible to find, so I'm not even going to try. You can try. It's on YouTube. Um, but I don't know how that works yeah. to rent something on YouTube. I assume or, it's like iTunes, but I don't know. Or they, or they might just uh, pull to Metropolis and just upload in the entire movie. That would be dope. I did not see that as an option. I looked yeah. at that as well. So, Well, uh, in case anyone uh, did listen last week and made it all the way to the end, today is the first day uh, of our four-part season uh, series. And this season is uh, this series is all about Mel Brooks this time. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm super excited yes i am a gigantic fan of mel brooks as am i and it's uh this is gonna be fun i Um, think uh i think he he revolutionized comedy the way not i wouldn't say not like anyone else has there's been a lot of innovators in comedy but i think mel has done it in a way that it's hard to replicate yes i think in my opinion. Yes, I I would agree with that because later in his career we'll find it's even hard for him to re- yes. to, to replicate mm-hmm. the beginning of his career, which is a shame. Yes, but, which um, um, we'll if, if there's all those Mel Brooks fans out there, I'm just going to go and let you know. We probably are not going to be discussing his later movies. Sorry to all of our uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It fans out there. That would be myself. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Dracula Dead and Loving It. I've seen that movie once. And uh, that's all you need, baby. It's so good. The the funniest part. Sorry, everyone. We'll get we'll get to the movie. Funniest part is when um, uh, Jonathan Harker kills the vampire in the coffin and just blood yes. sprays. And it is, it, I mean, gallons of blood. <laughs> and he's not dead yet. He's got to do it again. She's not dead yet. She just ate. <laughs> Surely she's gotta be dead now. You know. I think she's plenty dead. <laughs> That's uh, so good. But anyway, no, we, we won't be discussing um, movies in his later career. Uh, I mean, not really. I mean, one of them. I mean, we'll probably touch on them. But um, but today, we are discussing his third movie. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, one of the movies that really helped solidify him as a satirical comedy mm-hmm. writer and director, 
Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles. 1974. Yes. Um, came out the same year as Young Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, it was, it's like five, six months apart. Yeah. I mean, Young Frankenstein came out in December, and I think this one came out in June. Because they were... Obviously, they filmed them late, right, before, right? Obviously, they right. just were released at the same time, around the same time. Yeah. Um, which is how Laura Dern was competing against herself for an Oscar this year, right? Because <laughs> that's just how that's how movies work. Yeah. Um, anyway, but this one, Blazing Saddles, the first one, um, it's so good, right? Oh yeah. I think to first be able to discuss the films of Mel Brooks. Yes. Uh, I think we should discuss a couple of terms. Let's define our terms. Yes. Um, um, have the talk. Yes. As Lily would say. So the first one I want to talk about is satire. So, yes. So uh, when we talk about satire, which we will be doing quite a lot, especially with this movie in mm-hmm. particular, um, satire is thumbing your nose, holding a mirror up to society at something you or the artist deems dumb, uh, awful, uh, you know, stupid, terrible, whatever. Yeah. Right? Uh, our boy Jim Carrey is doing that right now with his political drawings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, actually, I was going to mention um, <laughs> satire can be very pretentious. Okay? Yes. Uh, yes. Satire would be like a, um, a New Yorker cartoon, political mm. cartoons. But I think the best example I can give you guys right now for pretentious satire is recent Saturday Night Live cold opens. Um, yeah, some of them, they just, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm a fan of Saturday Night Live, but, you know, those are just too much for me. I just, I, I always skip them. I can't so, handle them. So does Ashley. I, some, I'll stick it out if I think it's funny enough, but... I think it's bad that even I have to judge whether Saturday Night Live is being funny or not. You know, I you know, I, you know it's, they're they're doing the opposite of what Mel does. So what they yeah. do is their satire outweighs the parody, right? Right. And the satire is just so overwhelming that it loses its comedy to me. It loses its comedy. I'm sure there are people out there that actually love it that just roll on the floor laughing. All right, we just lost like. All of our listeners are Oh, there. no. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm not. You can leave. So <laughs> so that's satire. Satire is holding a mirror up to society saying, this is stupid. You're stupid. <laughs> and I'm going to... And I'm going to show you. And I'm going to... Yeah, I'm going to show you what that is in an exaggerated fashion. Right? right. Parody is completely different. Parody is taking something and, and doing an exaggerated version of that. So... It would be like in this instance, westerns. Yes. So, um, one of my favorite jokes in this movie is punching a horse. <laughs> so, that is obviously an exaggerated form of violence portrayed in westerns, right? Yes. Punching a horse to the ground. <laughs> Is very silly, right? And so uh, the literal definition is uh, a style of an author or work that is closely imitated for comic effect or ridicule, right? Yes. Mo- you know, m- most people out there would know that uh, their favorite YouTubers probably do parodies. Yeah. In 2006, that's all YouTube had was parodies. Yeah. So 
parody is what I think drives most of the comedy yeah. in Blazing Saddles, but he uses the parody to sort of highlight the satire. So yeah. by that I mean in this film, the satire is racial indignation, prejudice, prejudice mm. right? And in using parody to balance with the satire of, mm-hmm. you know, these horrible things they're saying uh, to Mr. Little, right? Yeah. And, but surrounding it with this parody of a Western, right? Right. And he doesn't give one more than the other. So he doesn't give satire more. He really doesn't give parody more. They're balanced. They, he gets to have his satire cake and eat it too because he's using parody, right? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. now that we kind of have this vegetable eating moment from Jeremy. <laughs> it's all right. The usual thing. Um, we need greens. Now we can talk about Blazing Saddles. Yes. Uh, man. I You know, before we get into the synopsis, I remember seeing this movie on VHS nice. um, at my grandparents' house uh, because my mom found out that my granddad had a copy of it. Mm-hmm. And she was like, we have to watch it, Dad. we we got to watch it right now. Because, you know, my mom, you know, obviously had seen it before then. But mm. she was like, we got to watch it. And <laughs> what's so funny is the only trailer that plays the, at the beginning on the VHS is the trailer of Blazing Saddles. Nice. And so it plays the trailer. That's very silly. And my, my granddad goes, all right, that's it. The movie's over. And I was like really and then the movie actually starts and I was just so <laughs> your grandpa's a rascal yeah I mean he is uh, I was just so shocked I mean shock's a bad word at 13 I didn't get it mm-hmm. I did see the comedy yeah but I didn't get it right you understood the parody yes right, right. Uh, after I got older and watched it more and more and more I realized like oh this is the point Mel is making right and uh, I think that makes the movie so much more powerful. Yes. <clears throat> and um, <clears throat> I, I hate to disrespect or disagree with the genius that is Gene Wilder. Mm-hmm. May he rest in peace. But I don't think this this movie could be made today and has still have the same impact. Yeah, he did say that. Um... Of course, that was probably like barely 2005. Oh, I mean, yeah, it was a while ago. Yeah. Uh, it, in the in the special features we were watching. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean... Like... It's like, different because where this movie is timeless, meaning there's not enough in there to pigeonhole it or corner it in a specific time and place. Right. Right? So you can watch this anytime. Mm-hmm. And it's still funny, right? Because Absolutely. there's not, you know, um, <laughs> there's that Hedy Lamar joke in there, which we'll get into, but that's not a topical joke at the time, right? Yeah. It's way past that. So there's nothing really topical. Let's see, 74. Well, at that time, it was probably 72, 73. Um, I'm I- trying to think of what would have ended up. You know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to show people how little I know about history. Uh, (laughs) I don't have time for that. I would say the most is the World War II German soldiers in the movie. Yes. That's probably about it. Yeah. You know, and it, so with, with taking out that, so the satire isn't topical, thank God. 
right? Yes. But it is, right? Because racial tensions will always be there, especially in 73. Mm-hmm. Um, that would still be impactful today also, right? It's just... The, the way they... The way they were trying to show racial prejudice yeah. then wouldn't work now. Right. Um, mainly because... I don't necessarily want to say everyone's much more sensitive now, <laughs> but people do get easily offended now um, by the littlest things. And even though the things they say in the movie, which we will not repeat. No. <laughs> sorry, oh, everyone. I'm not, oh, yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. If that's uh, why you tuned in. <laughs> yeah. You know they did. Yikes. Um, but, you know, you know, I remember not to... I'm not going to name names, but I remember... When Django and Chain came out, mm-hmm. and uh, I loved it. Oh yeah, and yeah, uh, someone told me that it was a very racist movie. Of course, racist in the sense against white people, <laughs> but automatically that's... makes you a racist if you said that is racist against white people. There's no such thing. Shut your mouth. Yeah, well, that's another. That's a conversation for off mic. But uh, but I do. I feel like I remember reading somewhere how someone said Quentin's use of the N word. Was excessive, and I that, was like, "I did read that in a lot of places when that movie came out." And I was like, "Wrong! This is post Civil War." Yeah, it I, was that heavy. Well, because they wouldn't tell Steve McQueen that for Twelve Years a Slave, which I think had it way more. <laughs> if I'm being honest, yeah. So yeah, no one said anything about that shit. Both movies are fantastic, obviously in different ways. I adore Steve McQueen and his style. Uh, definitely future episodes down the line. Mm. His catalog is amazing, right? Because you yeah. got Shame, Hunger, you got 12 Years a Slave, even Widows was good, right? But back to... Yeah, and, yeah the point being is you know, it, it couldn't be made today. No, probably not. I mean, there would be more restrictions. Um, now, the thing that we absolutely could do today, and the the fact that it was such a big deal then is strange, but the campfire scene yeah. was uh, said to be too much. They were like, yeah. you got to turn the volume down. Yeah, and, and Mel said, nope. Nope. And we will explain why Mel had wanted the volume up. Yeah, no, like, you, you, you can't. you, you got to crank that volume up. Um, yeah, man. You, as uh, in Bohemian Rhapsody, crank that shit up to 11. Crank it up. Well, that's fine with that. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so Jeremy, would you like to give us a synopsis? <sighs> Do I want to give a synopsis of this movie? I don't know. Um, the, the short of it is uh, a, a town... <laughs> <laughs> a, a town on the on a decline hires a black sheriff. In they the don't hire him. I don't know. I don't do you want know. me to fucking? Yes, do I don't. I didn't. I didn't want to do a uh, thing in well, this, uh, I, a synopsis well, for this. One I'll just I'll just go very briefly. All right. Um, that. that was a bad <laughs> The attorney general of the state, which we don't know what state it is. Yeah. Um, once the land that a town is sitting on, so he sends in ruffians, and as a twist of fate, the attorney general also hires a new sheriff for the town, uh, a all-white town, and he hires a black sheriff, mm-hmm. and that's the movie. Yeah, Cleavon Little is amazing. He absolutely is amazing. Um, the, he originally wanted Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor actually helped in the writing, but he didn't write anything for the sheriff. He, yeah, he wrote, wrote everything for Mongo. Right. 
So <laughs> you can write anything for the sheriff. So, so yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the, there's a there's a character. the The main character of the movie, everyone, is a a gentleman called Bart. Uh, he's the one who becomes the sheriff. Um, and when they brought in Richard Pryor during the writing process, they figured he would be writing everything for Bart. He ends up writing everything for a character called Mongo. Yeah. Who is this meant to be kind of like a I'm trying to think of a good analogy, mm-hmm. a good Looney Tunes analogy. He is like he is a Looney Tune for sure. <laughs> He's like the the hairball, the oh, with I shoes. Love. That Th- that's that's who he reminds yeah, that's me of. Really, that's a good. Compar- um, that's a good comparison. So he's really stupid. He speaks in third person. You know, Mongol. Um, and you know, I love that Richard wrote the line, <laughs> "Mongol only pawn in game of life." <laughs> like that. Yeah, it's so funny. It is so funny, and you know, I do. I would like to see a version of this movie with, with Richard? Richard, because. I like Gene and Richard together, right? Uh, oh, yeah. And With hear no evil and see no exactly. evil. Exactly. Yeah. I, like, I like that, right? But there's something about Cleavon that works so much better, I think. Um, I believe... I read somewhere that Richard really wanted Cleavon because of his complexion was so much darker than his. He goes, if you're going to do it, do it and go with Cleavon. Well, and I didn't, I haven't heard anything about that, but um, I did know that he 100% was like, yes, get Cleavon. Yeah. He can do it. Um, and they, and the studio didn't want Richard as the characters in baby driver would say he has a nasal problem. Yeah, and uh, the the insurance companies wouldn't cover him. So if anyone doesn't know Richard Pryor, a shame on you. Absolutely. Um, during the seventies and eighties, he was a rising comedian, and especially during this time, he was his star was starting to take off. Yes. But as Jeremy eloquently put it, um, he had a nasal problem. Yeah, nasal problem. <laughs> A.K.A. he liked the cocaina. Yes, and I mean that wasn't all, but it, um, and but he was he wouldn't show up to the writing sessions. Like uh, the producer said that they got a call from him, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm in Detroit." And they're like, "What are you doing in Detroit? We're writing today." And he's like, "Well, uh, followed some girls. We went to Detroit. Now I need two hundred dollars to get back." <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, Richard really very early on in his career built up uh, a sense of nor- notoriety. Yeah. But at the same time, with the notoriety came good results. I mean, look at the toy. Yeah. I think the toy is a fantastic movie. Dude, I, I love the movie. Anyway, um, but, I, but I do think the movie works so much better with Cleavon. Yes. Uh, leading as Black Bart. And then if, if Cleavon was a great choice, I believe the better choice was getting Jane. Absolutely. Right? So I do understand... Why Mel didn't want Jane? Mm-hmm. Mel wanted someone with a lot more experience in the face, right? Need to be older. Yeah. Um, he thought that to play an old alky, as he called it, you got to be one. That means alcoholic. <laughs> you got to be one, and so yeah, they wanted Dan Daly, right? Yes. Who and, I've never. I know. I'm, <clears throat> you know, I, I don't pretend to know anything about like. 50s movies. Yeah, but he was I, a song and dance man. Yeah, I had no idea. Um, and <laughs> during this is my this is my favorite story uh, that yeah. they told because of Gene's reaction. So 
when we meet the Waco kid, he's hanging upside down. Yes, right in his cell. In his cell, and the the exchange between the two of them is fantastic. Absolutely. And, uh, but uh, the actor that they had chosen first, um, he started shaking a lot, and Mel's like, "Wow, he's giving me a lot. He's really diving into this whole Alki thing. That's really good." And wasn't he also like turning purple in the face? Yeah, and then green. Stuff started spewing out of his mouth and nose, and so they had to call the ambulance. <laughs> and when they told Gene, he goes, "Why was it green?" <laughs> he goes, "I don't know, Gene. Do you want the part?" <laughs> so, and I, I also like. I also think it's really funny that Mel thought Gene would be great as Hedley Lamar. Yes, um, and Gene even was like, "No, no." He's like, "It's a great part." But not I, for me. I completely agree with Jane because absolutely Corman was amazing. Harvey Corman was awesome as Headley. <laughs> Hetty? No, it's Headley. It's Headley. <laughs> if okay, probably my my favorite joke that isn't just a one-off is his name, right? Yeah. Headley Lamar is a play on Hetty Lamar. Hetty Lamar uh, was a complete bombshell actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the in the 30s and 40s, um, mm-hmm. and she was also a very gifted and extremely intelligent inventor and scientist. <clears throat> and um, she is um, said to have created the beginnings of GPS technology. She had a hand in the Turing computer uh, during World War II. Uh, she, I mean, she was. Amazing. Of course, you got credit for none of it at the time. Yeah. Well, and <clears throat> I read that apparently during this time of them making Blazing Saddles is when she was mostly in seclusion. Mm-hmm. She was keeping to herself and yeah. staying out of the public eye. And then they did this. And then they did this. And uh, it's so funny that they have the joke in there that says, uh, no, it's Headley. It's like, dude, it's 1874. You could sue her. Yeah. So I, I do want to mention that. One of the things that the original writer pitched to Mel was, um, it's 1974, but in 1874. Right. So, you know, they make a lot of the, you know, jokes that would be made in 74 and things like that. And right. Just, I agree with you. It's, it's 1874. It's 1874. You could sue her. <laughs> and uh, she coincidentally, did, she did sue them. She did sue them. And <laughs> according to Mel, it's like, give her whatever she wants. She's Hedy Lamar. <laughs> Yeah, and it was a lot. They, uh, she she got a lot of money. Million. Oh yeah. no no no. She I think she sued them for ten million dollars, and then they um, gave her an undisclosed amount. Right. It, it, he was almost like saying, "I was asking for it. Give her whatever she wants." You yeah. Know what I mean, and uh, obviously she deserves that in a lot more. You know, for all the work she did. Right. Absolutely. And there's a great document. Sidebar. There's a great documentary about her on Netflix at the time of this recording. Uh, I know. Every time you tell me that, I'm like, oh, it's, oh, it's gone. Yeah, uh, it's called Bombshell, and it's uh, it's about Hedy Lamar. Not the not the movie with uh, Charlize Theron and Nicole Kidman. No, the other Bombshell. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, yeah I forgot about that. No, no not that one. Never it's saw. A, right, it's a documentary about Hedy Lamar. It's not about the Fox News scandal. Uh, yeah. Um. So. Dude, so I, I, I do want to talk about Gene Wilder. I could talk about him in this right. role for hours. Forever and ever and ever. Yeah. Because he, it's, I would say it's the one role I've seen of him where he's not screaming. Yes. Because uh, Ashley, my lovely wife, pointed out that he does such a good freak out. 
Yes. Which I agree, he does. One of, it's one of the things that makes me laugh the most in anything is people who fly off the handle yeah. really easily and over nothing, and he's perfect at that. Yeah, except in this role, right. he, he stays very calm. Yeah. He's very quiet, which I think is so funny as a alcoholic and a hardened gunslinger. He's just very soft-spoken. And one of my favorite lines he says, and he only says it twice, is the, oh, dearie, dear. It's just, it's so funny because he's supposed to be this hardened gunslinger. He's the Waco kid. Right. And he he talks like a a grandfather. Exactly. And it's, (laughs) it's, it's very funny, right? And it's, it's sort of that, you know, it messes with your expectation. Yeah. Right. And which is part of the parody, Mm -hmm. right? That he is the soft-spoken... You know, that can back up with the talent because he does still have this gunslinging, you know, repartee that Which he's got. Which I love what we never see. We, no, because he's so fast. <laughs> like, like when he shoots all the guns out of the hands, we see him here and then he's back and his arms are crossed. Exactly. It's, it's so, so good. funny. Right. Um, but, yeah, you know, it didn't hit me until um, I watched... Uh, the part two episode, which we'll say at the end of this episode. Yeah. We watched um, that movie, and then we watched Blazing Saddles, and I was like, wow. We did it backwards. Gene does not freak out at all in this movie. No. And he freaks out a lot in the producers. Yeah. Um, so it's not like we, the audience hasn't seen him freak out, so we know he can. Well, yeah, and you know, and I, as I read, this is, Blazing Saddles is three years after uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, that's right. So by now, people knew who he was. Right, of course, because Willy Wonka was a gigantic. Yeah, and film. introduced us to the the world's greatest movie, villain, the world's greatest movie villain, and Grandpa Joe. Fuck that guy. Uh, God, I hate Grandpa Joe. Um, <laughs> Grandpa Joe has all of your missing socks from the dryer. Okay, yeah. that's that's him. He wears. He just wears it. Just the do one. You, do you guys get what I'm saying? Uh, anyway, so enough about Grandpa Joe. Um. <laughs> God, I hate Grandpa Joe. Um, but, you know, in, in, and I get what you're saying about um, wanting to see a version with Richard Pryor. Because, you know, I've seen Hear No Evil and see no, mm-hmm. Hear No Evil see No Evil. And they have great chemistry together, Gene and mm-hmm. Richard. Yeah. But I think the chemistry between Gene and Cleavon yes. is, is just, it's so palpable. One of my favorite parts with them together is when they're eavesdropping on the bad guy meeting. Yes. And they beat up the the KKK members. <laughs> and boys, look what I got here. Where the white women at? I... I... W- it's so good. I have quoted that line on multiple occasions. Um, that it may obviously... Either no one gets it, or they're really confused. But I... It's probably because no one gets it. Right. Um, I just love that line so much because that's the one thing that's really going to piss him off the most. <laughs> um, it just makes me laugh so You hard. know, and I feel like I read somewhere that Cleavon and Gene just had so much fun together. Yes. Um, like, they... I, like, Ashley feels, and I agree, that in the scene uh, with the old lady... Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say what I love that um, so much. It's and, the shock value of yeah. that that makes me laugh. Um but, you know, when Gene is comforting him after that, and he's like, you know, morons. And Cleavon laughs. Ashley's like, I feel like he's genuinely laughing. Yeah. He's like, so do I. Yeah. I think I think how Gene delivers that line, Cleavon couldn't and help but genuinely. It's a wilder way to, you know, long pause. 
you know, morons. <laughs> See, it's still funny. It's, again, timeless movie, right? Absolutely. Um, you might enjoy this little side fact. I would. I love side facts. Um, that, and I know we're jumping ahead. We're going to be jumping around because uh, I don't care. Um, <laughs> when we get to <laughs> Dom de Louise <sighs> and, and the French Mistake, uh, there is a wonderful uh, supernatural episode called The French Mistake where uh, the the Winchester brothers get sucked into a portal and they end up on the set of Supernatural, a television show oh. that they are presumably in and they are actors in. And, they oh, like, and they're playing... It- what are you talking about? And it's called The French Mistake. Is the, oh, okay. Uh, and it's sort of that breaking the fourth wall and because obviously they break out of the Warner Brothers lots and <laughs> they, they go to this other set and this other soundstage. Yeah, so... That has to be, and I told Ashley, I was like, in the third act, there's a 180. It flies off the rails. Yeah. And it probably is one of my favorite fourth wall breaks yeah. ever. Um, I We can just, you've already brought it up, so I'd just jump right into it. Um, so if anyone hasn't seen the movie, in the third act, they are, there's a, a big fight erupts in the town, like massive, just brawl. And as Jeremy said, <laughs> the fight is moving because they're in the Warner Brothers back lot and yep. it's moving through the back lot into a set which Dom DeLuise, uh, RIP, uh, is directing a movie. I'm assuming it's also called The French Mistake. It is so fine. And um, he's being, he's playing a very effeminate director, old style, you know, with the, with the, the beret and the, and the pants and the, and the bullhorn. <laughs> Because <laughs> he hits him on the hand. He does, and um, and so obviously he he does say some more slurs also. So we can't. Yeah, we're, we're not going to say that. He said, but it's hysterical. Yeah, and uh, um, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. And so the so the fight breaks through his set, which causes all his actors in his scene to get into the fight, um, and that. And, and and what kind of amps up the fourth wall break is Slim Pickens, yeah, because <laughs> um, uh, Dom DeLuise is, I guess, trying to stop the fight. Yeah, what do you think you're doing? This is a closed set. And then Slim Pickens with probably one of the best fourth wall line breaks. Mm-hmm. Piss on you! I'm working for Mel Brooks, <laughs> not the face, not the face. <laughs> In the gut. Yeah. And then that fight leads into the commissary. <laughs> Slim Pickens is amazing in this, and he is no stranger to satire either. Yes, because he used to be a, a rodeo guy. Well, not only that, but he was in probably my favorite movie that is full satire because it's played straight and it's so funny and it's so dry is Dr. Strangelove. Ah, and he's the pilot. He's the one that rides the bomb at the end of the movie. Um, so when when I told Ashley that it was Slim Pickens, she was like, "That that's not his real name, is it?" And I was like, "I don't know. That's Slim Pickens. That's Slim Pickens." And I looked up. Now, obviously, it's a stage name, but I mean, as as other stage names are, that's that's how you know him, Slim Pickens. He's Slim Pickens. Yeah. Uh, my mom's favorite line of his is the. <laughs> What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? <laughs> My mom loves that line. It's a great line. Uh, and, and it's just one of those other examples of 
them not taking being in a Western seriously. Right. They're making references to things that don't exist in 1874, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's just too funny. Well, another one of my favorite visual gags is uh, Mel Brooks is the governor. and Oh, and he's got gov? He has gov on the back of his... <laughs> And he has uh, something embroidered or bedazzled on his underwear as well, on his boxer shorts. Um, he's great in yeah. this. Yeah. So, much like uh, Quentin Tarantino, uh, Mel Brooks uh, puts himself in his movies. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only a few... In next week's episode, he's not in. No. His voice is, but he's not physically in it. Um, but in this one, he plays uh, Governor William J. Lepetamane. And then the uh, Indian chief that we see in Bart's flashback, um, who speaks Yiddish. It's so funny. So the, the satire doesn't go just to African-American race relations. It also dives into Native, um, American. Native American cultural appropriation and, you know, really intense, you know, dense topics that he, he is able to address. Mm-hmm show how stupid and silly it is and how dumb people are being but again since it's surrounded by this parody and the absurdity that is a Indian chief Native American chief speaking Yiddish yes <laughs> it's so silly and right. you, and you would never see like for the longest time I, I I just thought maybe he was just making stuff up mm-hmm. but then when I put on the subtitles it says Speaking Yiddish. Yiddish. Yeah. I was like, oh. oh. I'm like, that's funnier. Yeah, it is. Right. It's funnier than him just making sounds up. Because he is very Jewish. Uh, yes. Mel, Brooks, so. Mel is. Uh, but his character of Lepetamine mm-hmm. cracks me up the most. Um, especially with the um, <laughs> the paddles. Yes. Because <laughs> I love the setup to that. The, you know... We'll snatch 2,100 acres from the Native Americans. 2,000 acres? What will it cost, man? What will it cost? A box of these. And he spits his cigar out. <laughs> like, boom. Yeah. Uh, I heard that apparently um, Harvey Corman was not supposed to actually hit the ball. Yeah. Um, but he just nailed it on the first take and improvised the right as usual, sir. And <laughs> Mel <laughs> freaking out like, show off. Yeah. Mine's with this one's warp too. Why don't I always get the warp? Ones? I always get the warp. And I love that he he gives that out to his cabinet members in lieu of pay. In lieu of pay, yeah, <laughs> they get a paddleball game. <laughs> all, all the gags in this in this movie are so good. I do want to bring up probably your favorite. Uh-huh. I, I, I want to be go out on a limb here and say that this actor is your favorite in this, and it is uh, it is her Mel Brooks debut. Which is Madeline Kahn. Madeline Kahn in this is incredible, and she is so funny. If anyone has never heard the name Madeline Kahn, shame on you. You should have left when we told you to. Mm -hmm. Um, I am deeply in love with Madeline Kahn, even though it can never be. Mm, No. R.I.P. R.I.P. She is such a talented comedian. Yeah. Um, And something that I really like that Joan Rivers says in the documentary about Mel... Which we should point out, Mel is still alive. Yes. But these wonderful people wanted to do a documentary about him. And for 92 years old, dude, he remembers everything. Everything, I know. But I love what Jones says about the introduction to Madeline Kahn in his movies is that Mel 
was not only giving her a chance to be funny, but giving her a chance to be sexy. Right. Um, which is, you know, in the 70s... So you can do both. You know, was unheard of for mm-hmm. a, a female actor to do that, was to be you're either sexy or you're funny. And mm-hmm. if you're funny, you're not sexy. And if you're sexy, you're not funny. Right. But Mel was giving Madeline the chance to do that, and she nails it. Yeah. We- um, supposedly, I think he meant it in the sense, as the producer said, she had a fit when she saw the costume, I think, in a bad way. Yes. She um, did not like the costume. <laughs> but... In both of her very racy costumes, she works with the scene so well, and it's so funny. Mm-hmm. Like when she's trying to, when she's in the costume of the the V, and she's trying to seduce um, Bart, and Headley comes to the door, and she's like, "God damn it!" It's just <laughs> she's I, great. And uh, later on, in in uh, part two, uh, yeah. we will discuss her really blossoming as a comedic actress Mm -hmm. because she does stuff you know she'll ad lib and make stuff up on the spot that is hysterical and that absolutely has to be in the movie and you know absolutely and so her instincts her comedic instincts are just spot on Mm -hmm. in this one she's fantastic right yes since it's kind of like her first outing well i mean and this movie she got an Academy Award nomination <laughs> for a comedy. Yeah, which uh, if anyone has ever watched the Oscars, comedies never. No, and they're they're just the pretentious ones, right? The pretentious even, comedies that aren't really comedies, right? Yeah, even even um, you know probably the funniest comedy you've seen would probably never be nominated for an Oscar. Probably not. Unless, like you said, it's a pretentious it's comedy. It's one of those pretentious ones, or it's like one of those David O. Russell quote comedies that I don't oh, think... Oh, like are, American Hustle? That I don't think are very funny. <laughs> I, I, I didn't get. think American Hustle was a comedy at all. Maybe a, a, a dramedy, but not a yeah. full-blown comedy. And I, yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of a it's sort of a weird thing. Their, their genre system yeah. is sort of strange. But for but someone mean, to get an Oscar nomination for a comedy in 74 yeah. is crazy. For, yeah, for a, an actual comedy. It's crazy. Yeah, and she should have gotten it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to... She got it. Whomever won. Who, whoever won. You, you didn't know? Okay. Madeline should have gotten it. Yeah, I don't know who won either. Yeah, because Madeline... She's so good. So, so funny. And, and I do agree with you that, you know, yeah... You know she's she's so funny in this one, but in uh, next week's episode, and then even part three, yeah, she just elevates her. She gets so much better. Yeah, right. Um, and in this one, you know, so the, the the comedy style in this one is is sort of a mesh between like absurdist comedy, like punching out a horse, or uh, a grandma. Or I love like have you never seen such cruelty? <laughs> Apparently, Mel, uh, they were really trying to get him to take that out, and I he was like, love "No." Love that woman. She is so funny. So, so the, the scene we're talking about is when the ruffians first come to Rock Ridge. Uh, they are causing all kinds of hell, and the final scene is them holding an old lady, arms behind her back, and the other guy's just. <laughs> Punching her. Wailing on her stomach. And she looks directly in the camera and goes, have you ever seen such cruelty? And then he just goes back into Too it. funny, man. You know? it's Yeah, it's fucking hilarious. And... <laughs> not, not I'm saying that uh, old people should be abused, but just the absurdity of the scene. You're right, Rain. Off mic, he said only some. 
elderly people should be abused. And you know what? I can't disagree. I mean, I don't know. There's probably some bad ones out there. I mean, Alex told us he wanted us to put him in a home. <sighs> yeah. We might have to. Yeah. But, uh... Dad, if you're listening to this, <laughs> fat chance. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, you know, but, you know, uh... The, apparently the the studio really wanted Mel to take that out, which is so strange. You know, much like the studio wanted him to. Well, at first, their one of their first notes was you need to take out this stuff, and it was every single curse word that's in the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's like no. <laughs> yeah, and I'm glad to you know to see a movie where the producer have the had the director's back. I don't know the producer's name, but he was like, no, if we take all this out, yeah, we'll have a nine minute movie that makes no sense. Right. It. it I mean, it would just be out of context. You yeah. Know? We need all of this for it to make sense. Yeah, and. We need all of it to make the satire work. Yeah. Right? Without it, it doesn't work. And it, it wouldn't it wouldn't dive it down to pretentious. It would dive it down to it being non nonsense. <laughs> yeah, it would uh, yeah, it would just be a silly comedy. Right. That probably wouldn't that has nothing to say. Yeah, it would probably have not have any amount of impact that it does now. Now in my research, in my research. Research. In in my research. Uh, I did uh, I was surprised to see that uh, and I I don't know how I missed this in my years of loving Mel Brooks that he didn't come up with the original idea no yeah yeah. I also didn't know that I just knew he'd written like he'd helped writing I didn't know that um, Andrew Bergman that's right I think that's his name uh, wrote it because um, I was telling Ashley how they tried to make it into a TV show. Mm-hmm. And Ashley was like, you got to be kidding me. I was like, yeah, they, they tried. I was like, the, the pilot is on the special features. Yeah. And as I was doing a little bit more reading, that's when I learned more about the movie itself is that the show was going to be based more on the original concept. Because mm-hmm. um, when Mel came in, Mel... Wanted to rewrite it, which they did. Right. But he kept the original writer on to assist, Be- which is very cool because he didn't have to do that. Yeah. Right? Most, yeah, most, little fun fact, Once everyone. Which you buy it, yours. Yeah. Little fun fact, everyone. Um, most of the time, well, I don't know, most of the time, according to Mel Brooks, most of the time, um, when you want to rewrite a script, you get rid of the original writer mm-hmm. because he's just annoying. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I guess in in today's terms, he would get credited as a story by yes, you know, like Edgar Wright and Ant Man. Right, exactly. Because you know, um, I think he might have kept the writer on number one, just because you know he he respected the source material. But I think it's because he liked it so much, right? Yeah. Because uh, you know, according to him, when he first read it, he goes, "I love this, but I don't do stuff I don't write." So. I mean, this is great. This is really funny. Well, and, and I, and I like that he else. kept him on for the rewrite. Right. Because in, in, in the exactly. writing credits, he's listed yeah, as well. I think it's because he respected the source material and he, he liked the concept so much that he needed the original writer to help flesh it out. Right? Yeah. Well, and apparently the original writer in the special features said that they had so much fun rewriting yeah. it and that they were so confident that the movie wasn't going to be successful that they're like, you know, let's just do everything yeah. we can. Yeah, just throw everything in there. Who cares? Yeah. You know? And and now the movie is culturally significant. Yes. You know? Yes, it Without is. Without it, we, uh, 
we wouldn't have the humor that we do, like the campfire scene. Like the campfire scene. Which we scene. alluded at. Yes, uh, it is not my... It's not the style of comedy I like the most. Yeah, you don't, you don't like gross-out humor. No, I don't. But I do like the concept. Again, this is parody at its purest because yes. it's, it's showing you... It's like, guys... In every movie you've ever seen in a Western, what are they eating? You know? Beans and black coffee. Like, what do you think that does to the human body, right? This is what it would actually be like. You know what I mean? And <laughs> a little exaggerated, of course. Um, That's why Mel had to crank up that volume. Because people howled with laughter at the theaters. And if they had kept it the original way, you wouldn't be able to hear the rest of it. Right? Well, and um, I've actually seen it. I've seen a TV release of Blazing Saddles. I haven't seen one since, but, you know, in the special features, they talk about how for the TV they had to edit it out, and I've seen it, and it's it's the worst Yeah, they showed thing. it. It's just people kind of getting up and sitting back down. <laughs> yeah, and so... Because there's no sound. Without the sound, as we've been talking about with, you know, the Warner Brothers wanting to take out all the, you know, certain jokes, there's no context now, so we're like, right. why are they getting up? Yeah. And then it's not until Slim Pickens comes in. Right. Then you're like, oh, oh. they've been farting. Right. And it's it's not as funny. No. And it's not as shocking, right? Especially for the time. Yeah. Um, well, and because of that, you know, we got a lot more gross-out humor in comedies. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, again, I don't from, care for. From what I understand, that kind of paved a way for this kind of gross-out comedy. And this is... <sighs> 13 years after um, Hitchcock was allowed to flush a toilet on on screen. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember that. For Psycho, because he, uh, he was told there's absolutely no way we're going to let you flush a toilet on screen. Why would anyone want to see that? He goes, because he's flushing evidence. <laughs> and he goes, I don't care. Like, you can't do it. That's gross. And he goes, well, too bad. <laughs> you know? And they let him do it, obviously, because it's in the movie. But, yeah. you know, this is... This is a long... I mean, in in how fast things change now, mm-hmm. you would think that if within the 13 years, we would we would have gotten scenes like the campfire scene were earlier, right? Right. Um, but it, it's like, you know, we're making exceptions just ever so often, right? Yeah. The, Once man. we make one exception, it is no longer okay, right? It's yeah. still, we won't let you do it. We just let him do it. Yeah, right. man, the sixties and seventies were such strange. A- and you know, the seventies. I mean, we can get into this later, but the seventies has really raw and you know realistic movies in the seventies come out. Yeah, you know, um, Taxi Driver came out in the seventies, right? Yes, uh, that was seventy four. Wow, same year. Yeah. <laughs> so while Mel was uh, yeah. in the West... S- Scorsese. Scorsese was uh, making Robert De Niro go down a rabbit hole. Yeah, he was. Um, but anyway, yeah, so the 70s bring bring about a lot of really raw, emotional, human dramas, right? Because yeah. we also get things like, ooh, Jeremy, don't make a promise you can't oh. keep... Oh, uh, Woman Under the Influence uh, is a John Cassavetes film okay. that's in the 70s. That's just one example. There's obviously a lot more that I can't think of right now. But, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, can... but for that to be a problem is very strange because of what 
was, you know, allowed or alluded to in other films. Well, right. and, you know, in, 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 in American history, as well as American filmmaking, the 60s and 70s were a very strange time. Mm-hmm. You know, we had the Vietnam War, you know, because the 50s still held the American dream, mm-hmm. you know, the Dick Van Dyke show and this, you know, this is how we do it. Created by Carl Reiner, best friend of Mel Brooks. Yeah. Um, but, you know, everything was so straight-laced, and then we get to the 60s and the 70s, and then we realize, as a country, wow, everything's not so straight-laced. And I think people, uh, especially in the film industry, were still holding on to those ideals. Mm-hmm. I think that's why. It's possible. Um, it took so long for Alfred Hitch- Hitchcock to flush a toilet. Right. In a movie, because now, you know, when you say that now, you're like... That's silly. I think I've seen... I think I've seen someone flush a toilet on screen three times today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, Mel, with the campfire scene, Mm -hmm. which, of course, as we said, it's exaggerated, but, you know, that was unheard of. Right, which is... How dare he? Which, again, is strange, you know? Yeah, because now... Because even, even before that... Um, in the late 60s we had crazy movies in the late yeah. 60s that really made cultural impacts that I, I would think were pushing more boundaries yeah. than that it's just a silly thing to care about you know yeah it's just you know I think they just thought it was lowbrow which kind of way I mean they're right but <laughs> I mean yeah but I mean without it right again exactly you know you have to have rainy days to appreciate anyone, <laughs> which I've said before, but um, uh, in a different context. But for the for the satire not to be overwhelming, you need to have yeah this little silly thing with the parody going on. You know, um, one of the one of the facts I really love is how apparently they wanted John Wayne in the movie. Yes, um, and uh, John was like. No, I can't be in a Western like this, but I'll be the first one to see it. Yeah, I'll be the first one. He said he read it, and he goes, I was howling last night, but no. (laughs) But no, I can't, but I'll I'll go see it, though, for sure. Do you you think it's because, you know, at that point in John Wayne's career, he was, you know... 73... Oh, man, when did the Cowboys come out? Because that was a big deal, too. That was a good one. Um, He was still relevant, right? Yeah. I mean, this isn't like Rooster Cogburn yet. We're getting there. Oh, but, like True Grit. Yeah, and then Rooster Godwin, the the his one after that. Um, well, he did one after True Grit as the same character. Mm-hmm. It's called Rooster Godwin. Oh. Um, huh. And it, so we're not there yet, but we're getting there. So and he so, still had relevancy. He does, and it, it, he's still a powerhouse, right? We're we're not really in the twilight years of John Wayne's, um, you know, tough guy macho cowboy character yet right Mm -hmm. because True Grit was really solidifying him getting on an age showing that on film you know really delving into what this is heavy but (laughs) getting into you know what it's like to age what it's like Mm -hmm. you know not to be you know a Superman like he was in Stagecoach you know you know 30 years before so, um, at this point, he was like, dude, I'm John Wayne. I can't do this. No. Like, that's crazy. Imagine, they can't see me do any of that. Imagine if he did that. I don't know what... The, in the stuff I saw and read, they didn't say what what character he would have played. They just wanted him to be a part yeah. of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, but at the same time, they got Slim I Pickens. Would've, I would have seen him in the Slim Pickens role. 
Uh, maybe, Mr. Taggart. Is maybe that would have put him in that one, which would have made sense. But, but I mean, he can't beat Slim Pickens. Yeah. No offense. No, yeah, no offense to John Wayne at all. I mean, John Wayne, again, John I Wayne? agree with you. He's a powerhouse. Yeah. But I think, I don't think he would have been able to bring that same kind of comedic timing no. that Slim Pickens brought. No, because he was already doing that. Right. <laughs> and I love the advice he gave because they, <laughs> um, they would ask... Uh, Slim Pickens for advice for advice and he would just give almost non-sequitur advice like it wasn't really advice but it turned out that it was right it was good advice it's just in a sort of roundabout you gotta think about it way uh-huh. right because <laughs> Mel's like you know you've done this so many times you've made so many movies what do you got for me he goes find time to sit down goes, and Mel was like what what he goes and in retrospect he was exactly right I get really tired <laughs> you know but then I forgot his name. Oh, the God. guy who plays Damn Clive? It. Yes. Yeah, his, I his advice to him I loved, which was don't don't try to put something on, you know what I mean? Like a voice, an accent, something you're not comfortable with. Because mm-hmm. if you play it the way you sound, it'll it'll hit way better, right? Because you're you'll be, you know, um it's it's hard to explain, but if he would have done something crazy, you know, like either did something with his posture, did something with his voice, the jokes wouldn't have hit as hard because he would have been too busy concentrating on... Yeah. Right? And I said his name wrong. His character's name is Delisle. And and so when when Slim Pig is like, say it how you sound, because that's, that's what's going to give you your best performance. Right? Right. And he was exactly right. Because if Slim tried in any other movie to try to sound like anybody else, he wouldn't be Slim Pickens. Yeah. No one would oh, hire yeah. him. No one cares. Yeah, I don't think uh I don't I don't think Mr. Taggart would have been no, and if, as he funny. Had, if he had tried to hide his southern accent for Strange Love, that wouldn't work it. Uh Burton Gilliam. Thank you. Is Lyle. Yes. Also, um I was trying to help Ashley understand that she's seen him before. Mm-hmm. Um he, uh, if anyone has not seen Blaze Tales, again, what are you doing here? Leave. Um, but he's in Back to the Future Part 3 as yes. the gun salesman. Ashley still was like, huh? But then again, credit to my wife. Uh, she loves the first one, so I don't, I'm like, okay, it's fine. But, uh, I thought that was kind of funny that Robert Zemeckis was like, hey, hey, I just kind of, just kind of, just kind of show up in my Western really quickly. Yeah. Um, welcome back to Westerns that didn't work. Back to the Future Part Three. <laughs> well, as I was trying to explain to her, I too, is like, to you know, and as we said in the two part episode of Back to the Future, um, there's never supposed to be a sequel. Right. Anyway, um, but you know, you know, in, in the character of Lyle, I, I am so glad that Slim gave him that advice. Yes. Because Lyle also, I mean, every character in the movie is hilarious. Mm-hmm. And I think Lyle, especially, especially at the beginning, like with the whole temperature. Yeah. yeah. You're working out here like it's 120 degrees. Can't be more than 114. <laughs> like it's like it's so stupid, but it's so funny. Yeah. Um, and I love that. As we were kind of talking about off mic, is that you know Burton was having a a real hard time. Yes. Saying some of the things he was saying. A very similar situation to what. Later in history, but back 
during our first episode when we were our very first episode talking oh, about um, Django is Leonardo DiCaprio having a hard time with his dialogue. Yeah. Um, and in Samuel Jackson be like, get over it. <laughs> yeah. Just say, who cares? In so course, many words. I can't tell you exactly what he said. but Of course, Cleavon was a little nicer. It was yes. like, look, you know, like someone wrote these words. Yeah. It's not a big deal. Now, if you were saying this to me in any other context. Yeah. Like at craft services. Yeah, we'd have a problem. He was like, but, you know, just have fun with it. He's like, if you want to add. And I love that Cleavon was like, if you want to add more. Yes. Like, Mel will love that. And, and you know, Burton said that that really helped him out. Yes. And I, I think it's, I think it kind of also helps out with the satire of the movie. Is yes. that this white man was having a hard time saying right. certain words. <laughs> using a lot of. A lot of big words. Yeah. Um was having a hard time, but kind of getting the okay from mm-hmm. the lead actor, he was more comfortable and right. able to do it. Right. You know? It is... It's important for it to be played that way, right? Yeah. Very harsh, you know, very matter-of-fact. Mm-hmm. And if they had sort of, like, danced around it, there's no way it would have had the same impact, oh, absolutely right? Not. So, I mean, it's... You know, like, later on in part two, we'll talk about cinematography... And yeah. how that really matters for that also, right? Mm-hmm. So when you take this seriously, when you take the satire, take the parody seriously, it works, yeah. right? Like an airplane. I love airplane. <laughs> if those actors had played it goofy, I'd hate the movie, right? Yeah, because then it, it would just be a slapstick but comedy. But they played it so straight because none of them had ever done comedies before. So they played it like it was a drama or an action thriller. <laughs> It's so so much better while they're right. while they're playing instruments in the cockpit. Exactly, right? And they're, <laughs> but they're they're treating it as if it's normal behavior, right? Yeah. Which makes absurdist comedy work, which is why this works. Yeah. Right. You know, and um, we kind of scathed over it, but I really want to talk. Just, I mean, not really want to get into it. Just at least mention it. Is that everyone in Rock Ridge? This last name is Johnson. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they. I love the the banner. the banner that they have at the town hall. <laughs> it, it's just A Johnson, G Johnson, B Johnson, F Johnson. Well, and and what's funny is before that, you know, when they're in church, Mel really shows us that they're all last name is Johnson by because they're calling everyone by their full name. Mm-hmm. You know, so the the old hillbilly <laughs> is Gabby Johnson, and then. You know, I refer to him as the Big Lebowski because he is the Big right. Lebowski. You know, he gets up and he does his speech, and then Howard Johnson is like, Orson Johnson is right. And then the other guy was like, Howard Johnson is right about Orson Johnson being right. And then it's just, I'm laughing just thinking about it because, because that is just so silly. Yeah. Right. And I just. I still haven't figured out why they're all all their last names are Johnson. It but might just be because it just made me giggle. That's the whole reason is to make you giggle. Yeah, right? that they're all last names are Johnson. Oh, and how um, Howard Johnson's ice cream parlor has one flavor, <laughs> vanilla. <laughs> I also really love the. Is he like the judge, the priest, or whatever he is? Uh, uh-huh. The priest. Yeah, he's, he's the, the priest. The Bible, right? I love his character because uh, he does for just one second try to help him out, try to help out Cleavon. Yeah, so so in the scene, um, 
everyone where let me paint you a word picture when Cleavon first comes to Rockridge as the sheriff uh, he's got a suede in, brown in his Gucci uh, saddlebags saddle oh my god that makes me laugh every time that it's Gucci um, and uh, you know as we've been inferring as you know this black man in a most uh, all white town they all have their guns on him and the the priest is trying to help <laughs> And he holds up the Bible, like, uh, like I hope y'all like. I can't, I, I'm gonna butcher the line because I'm overthinking it, but like you know, pay heed to this good book and what it has to say. And they all shoot it. <laughs> Son, you're on your own. <laughs> and he just leaves them there. <laughs> I, I, I do love this movie very much. How would you like to wrap up, wrap up, wrap up? Wrap up, wrap up, wrap up? Wrap up, wrap up. Uh, I would love to. Okay. Um, Blazing Saddles is... It's not my favorite Western, but it's close. <laughs> like, in general, right? You know, as... As we, I was, I just, I was keep, I was kind of keeping this in the back of my head as we, as we've been talking. You know, I said how you know a movie like this probably couldn't be made today, um, and there's one of it like it's kind. I think the only person who came close, but it was more of a parody of just westerns, mm-hmm. was Seth MacFarlane in oh, yeah, yeah. A Million Ways to Die in the West. Yes, but that's more of just a parody of westerns in general. Yeah. So there, I mean. In that one, there is no satire, right? No, that's there's the no difference. message. No, it's just there. There is no holding up a mirror to society in in a Seth MacFarlane movie. Uh, Seth MacFarlane loves parody. He yeah. loves paying homage, mm-hmm. right? Which again is why Blazing Saddles works because they take the Western part of it seriously. It Absolutely. looks like a Western. It feels like a Western. It's just played for laughs, yeah. right? And that's the difference. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like the cinematography looks like a western. I'm telling. I mean, it looks like The Searchers, but it's silly, goofy nonsense. Especially, I, for, I wanted to mention this, but I forgot. But you know, we'll, I'll mention this in the in the, in the wrap up, wrap up, wrap up. Uh, is Cleavon a lot of Cleavon's dialogue? Uh, I love that he incorporates the whole. Um, try not to be offensive, but the whole like jive. Like yes, like what's going on, baby? <laughs> like I love that. I love it. Yes, he again. It is that sort of, which is so silly. I mean, it's silly to me that they that they said that it is nineteen seventy four in eighteen seventy four, right? Which in on paper makes it seem like it would only work for a nineteen seventy four audience, which is amazing that it doesn't. It works for oh yeah, you know, how far are we now in the future since then? But it's but it's because he he speaks. He speaks six years, in the, right? And he's he sort of has that swagger, and he has mm-hmm. that cadence and the vernacular of someone from 1974. Yeah, um, that for some reason it still works in 2020. Absolutely, and it is so funny, and we still get the joke. Absolutely, right? yeah, and, and we get the point too. Right. Now, um, so would would you like me to tell everyone what next week is going to be? Please, so. Um, we hope everyone enjoyed Blazing Saddles. Uh, again, this is just part one mm-hmm. of our Mel Brooks-a-thon. Three more to go. Three more to go. Next week will is the very next movie that uh, Mel came out with, which, as we alluded to, same year as Blazing Saddles, mm-hmm. um, co-written by Mel and our boy Gene Wilder, 
It is Young Frankenstein. Yeah, that's going to be really exciting. Um, as I mentioned off mic, uh, we watched both movies back to back last night, and Ashley liked Young Frankenstein so much more. Yes, this is my favorite Mel Brooks movie, um, Young Frankenstein. And even he says it's his best movie. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Um, well, we hope everyone enjoyed Blazing Saddles, and uh, you'll get to enjoy The French Mistake. Enjoy The French Mistake. We will see you next week. Push, hands on your hips, give them a push, you'll be surprised you're doing the French mistake, voila! Come on, try it, move those feet along! Fifteen million Frenchmen can't be wrong! Whee! Throw out your hands, stick out your push, hands on your hips, give them a push, you'll be surprised you're doing the French mistake.